Last night, the NFL was rocked by an injury unlike anything we've ever seen before in Cincinnati. It put the entire NFL and sports world in peril over the last 24 hours. Rob Rang and I are going to be reflecting on our latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Certainly a difficult day for all football and sports fans, maybe even people that aren't sports fans, given what happened in Cincinnati last night on Monday Night Football, a play that sent shockwaves throughout the sports world and Today really is bigger than football, Rob, and, and I'm just going to get right into it. We'll get to talk some Seahawks later in the show, but uh, you and I were finishing the show yesterday live when this play happened, and Damar Hamlin, the uh, defender for the Buffalo Bills, goes in and makes what looks like a totally typical football play, and then he ends up collapsing on the field. They had to do CPR on him to resuscitate his heart. Uh, they had to do it again when they got to the hospital, and you could just see the emotion on the field from the coaches, the players, the fans in the stands. This is unlike anything that we have ever seen in an NFL game, and it's an unfriendly reminder of the brutal sport that we love so much. Yeah, it, it was very difficult to watch. Um, you know, in, in something as serious as this, I, I certainly don't want it to sound silly, but it was – heartbreaking um and that, that's exactly what it felt like i mean you just had that pit in your stomach watching this unfold on you know live television obviously and just a an incredible audience because of how important of a football game that this was and of course that's not nearly as important as the young man's life I and mean, he's 24 years old and he's a really good player, oh, by the way, for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you know, he is living out his dream, had his family there, his mother there, as, as a lot of people have uh, have acknowledged. Um, you know, it is just very, very difficult to watch, very difficult to focus on the ramifications of playoff seedings or fantasy football championships and all those things that that mattered so much to us until we watched that unfold. And so just... Obviously, all of our thoughts, our prayers to Demar Hamlin and his family, uh, his, his all of his loved ones. Um, we wish them the very best. And it's, I, I will say this as as you know, just obviously as difficult of a moment as it was and it continues to be. I am also just so impressed by humanity, frankly, by the way that this is kind of has brought us together a little bit. And so to me, I'm always kind of looking for that, that, that silver lining. Um, that is one, um, from what is so far at least been a, a tragedy. And then we're just hoping that uh, it winds up becoming a miraculous comeback. Yeah. And at this point, we don't have a lot of updates for uh, DeMar Hamlin's situation. I did recently read that there was a report out there that, 
Uh, he was making decent progress. They still had him in critical condition, unfortunately. So we are both keeping our fingers crossed. Our thoughts and prayers are with him, his family, and all of his teammates, everyone that's within the league, that he's going to be able to overcome this and make a full recovery. That is as scary of a situation as I've seen on a football field. And it's just crazy, Rob, because – and I mentioned it. We love this sport. Our listeners love this sport. America loves this sport. The world loves this sport. But the reality is that these guys are putting their bodies and their lives on the line every time that they go out in pads and helmets. And we see the injuries each week. We saw Jordan Brooks tear his ACL on Sunday and he gets carted off and then everything just moves forward. That's the way that football operates. Other sports have injuries in them as well, such as hockey and basketball. And we see guys get hurt. Um, it happens. And you typically wait a few minutes and then you return to the field and you keep playing. But this was an unprecedented situation with a player having to have CPR done for almost nine minutes on the field. And, it became apparent quickly. Again, you and I did not see it happen live, but I turned the TV on right after my wife had mentioned something was going on. And just seeing the way that things were unfolding in the field, the emotion from the players, the raw emotion. I mean, we see guys get worked up when injuries happen, but this was just on another level. And it really was a reminder of, you know, just just how brutal this sport can truly be. And, and again, it looked like a traditional play. It didn't look like there was anything crazy that happened that would have would have led to this happening to this young man. And, you know, it's it's just it's a very unfortunate situation. It was a chilling situation. And I tried to write up an article this morning and I just couldn't think of the words to say because, and I'm still having a hard time coming up with words to say because it's just, and you know, and, and I think a lot of the players around the league last night, we saw that on social media where a number of players, just to hear a few examples here from Seahawk players last night, DJ Dallas tweeting, life is fragile. Quandre Diggs, prayers up, man. Geno Smith, thoughts and prayers for Mar Hamlin and his family. I think that it is one of those situations that, can be extremely difficult to think of the right things to say just because we had not experienced this before. This really was unprecedented. And as you mentioned, there are positives to take from this. And we are all paying close attention, hoping, praying that DeMar Hamlin is able to make a full recovery from this. But seeing the solidarity around the league today with all 31 other teams posting a profile picture on their social media accounts with Hamlin's name and number, his jersey, and over $4 million, at least the last time I checked, it might be over $5 million now for his GoFundMe page for his toy drive that he was just looking to get $2,500, and now there's probably over $5 million at this point. I donated to that cause, and I know a lot of people have, and we can complain about social media and Twitter, and there's certainly some negatives, but if there's a good thing from it, seeing the outpouring of support from people that don't even know DeMar Hamlin or his family after this incident happened, it's it really does show that there is a lot of good in humanity that, that we don't talk about enough. 
No, that's that's very well said. Um, I, that, that is the the positive I've been taking from this. Um, you know, when you've been around football, uh, you know, for as long as I have, um, you know, you've seen some pretty horrific injuries. Um, you know, and, and obviously a lot of the games that I've, I've seen have been at the high school or college level that that aren't on a stage nearly as big as Monday Night Football. And um, you know, I'm thankful that I have never seen anything quite like what we all witnessed on, on Monday night. Um, as you said, we, we, you could just see that the shock, the horror, the fear, um, you know, and, and the love um, in his teammates' faces and his opponents' faces. Um, you know, it, again, as it, someone who's done a, a few interviews over the years, and, and sometimes you have that extra little earphone in there, and you can hear the producer, you can hear other people in the background kind of trying to whisper information to you or whatever the case might be, to, to see the, just the gravity in the faces of all of the different announcers. I mean, I was flipping back and forth between two different channels to see if we could get updates, um, yeah. you know, and and just to know that they were the people who were speaking in front of the cameras um, or on the ra- on the radio, whatever the case might be, to know that they were given all of the information that they legally and ethically could provide and yet still, the, again, the, just the gravity that they were demonstrating, that's where you knew that this was something far more serious than, than we had seen before. So, uh, again, I choose to fo- focus in on the positives um, and the fact that, that you know, Hamlin is still with us, at least when we're, as we're recording our show, then that just, to me, just demonstrates what an incredible fighter that he is. He's already demonstrated what an incredible fighter he is, and I just, um, you know, wish him he and his family the very best moving forward of course yeah thoughts and prayers for his family his friends his teammates and those of you listening to the show again like i said i've already donated to this cause but you can find this on my social media account on my twitter account at corbin smith nfl damar hamlin strong with the hashtag i have his gofundme page for the chasing m's foundation community toy drive again last time i checked it was over 4.5 million dollars that had been raised for this cause. It's a great opportunity to uh, show your respects for this young man who is a great football player and an even better player off the field. I have several friends on the Locked On community family that actually know Damar Hamlin one-on-one. They worked with him a lot, and uh, it's obviously been a very difficult 24 hours for them as well. So make sure to check that out. Any donation is going to be beneficial for the cause. And um, it's, again, a great opportunity to show your respects for a young man that's fighting right now. And we hope that he's going to make a full recovery. We're going to shift our gears now to the Seahawks. And it's going to be difficult for us to do this on the show. But at the same time, uh, all of us have our coping mechanisms. We know those of you that are listening to the show, this is a great opportunity for us to also maybe escape a little bit what has happened here in the last 24 hours. And uh, we can talk a little bit of football as well. So we're going to get to soon some Tell the Truth Tuesday takes coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of the Locked on Seahawks podcast. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's week 18 of the 2022 season, and I've got Joe Burrow throwing a pair of touchdowns against the Ravens. This might seem like a bold leap, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players where they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections in any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, boxing, or even disc golf. 
Safe and Easy Withdrawals is currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo, promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. A really difficult day, but we're glad to have you on board listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, whether you're a regular listener or a first-time listener. We greatly appreciate your support. All right, Rob, let's talk a little bit Seahawks here. We had this big win, 23-6 over the New York Jets on Sunday. Yesterday, we dished out some takeaways. Now we've had a chance to watch the All-22 film. And I always have noticed this. There's always some unique perspectives that you can gain from watching the All-22 film that you don't get during the TV copy. And so for today's podcast, instead of us dishing out hot takes, and there might still be a few hot takes in here, but... I want to really discuss some things that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about yesterday that were revealed watching the All-22 film. So I'm going to dish it over to you. I know you've got a lot of thoughts on the defensive side of the football that you want to get off your mind here. Yeah, I I do. And I guess one of them is a hot take. I'll I'll call myself out because I was a little critical of Tanner Muse uh, in yesterday's show, Corbin, where I was kind of just um, criticizing the fact that a lot of his tackles, he kind of falls backward. And the running back or tight end, whoever the case might be, is holding the ball, is able to get an extra yard or two. And again, this is something I have seen going back to his days as kind of a rover safety player at Clemson. Um, you know, this is the former 100th overall selection of the draft by the then uh, Oakland Raiders. Um, and, you know, he's bounced around the NFL just a little bit, but. He has gotten stronger, and certainly the tackles that he made against the Jets uh, were very impressive. They were physical downhill kind of stops. And so that was one of the things that I was really impressed with. And kind of going back over the all-22 tape, as you said, I, I expect Tanner Muse to look good in coverage, and he did so. Uh, he had a, a pass breakup, and he was that close to being able to, to steal an interception of, of Mike White. Um, but I also was impressed just by his size, his physicality, um, and, and just his willingness to kind of put his body on the line, met the backs in the hole, and, and knocked him to the ground. Had one play where he actually knocked a, a Jets pass catcher back a couple of yards. So just much more physical and competitive in his first real opportunity and taking over for Jordan Brooks. Really excited to see what we might see from uh, Tanner Muse and obviously in his starting opportunity here with the Rams this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to dish out a hot take here too because why not? It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. Yeah. I, I think if the Seahawks have any regrets this season on offense or defense, not getting Colby Parkinson the football enough has got to be near the top of the list and he had the best game of his career on Sunday that was five catches though he had never had more than three catches in the game and I think when you look at the fact that he's six foot seven and runs a four seven and I think he plays faster than in the field with those long strides the catch radius he should be getting way more opportunities in the red zone than what he does, and he should be getting a lot more touches. I think he should probably be the third target behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, if we're being honest. 
and just feels like there have been games this year where they had opportunities to game plan to make him a bigger part of their passing game, and they haven't taken advantage of that. I'm not going to blame Geno Smith for that. I'm not going to blame, blame Parkinson for that. I think this is something that Shane Waldron has been inconsistent with. There have been games like Sunday where he's done a great job game planning his tight ends, and then there have been games like both games against the 49ers where inexplicably tight ends like Parkinson were not really part of the game plan in the passing game. And I just think that that is something when they look back in the season, they're going to wonder why did we not get Colby Parkinson more involved in the passing game? I mean, he's, he's having a career year statistically because he had injuries the first two years, but 23 catches, 275 yards and only two touchdowns as good as he has been when he's had his opportunities, there just haven't been enough opportunities there. And I think Sunday further illustrated that with how well he played against a top five defense in the New York Jets. Yeah, I thought the Parkinson was spectacular. Um, you know, and so we talked about this during yesterday's show, not just as a receiver, but as a as a run blocker as well. Kind of like what I just mentioned before, Tanner Muse, and how I was just impressed with the physicality. I've I've always been impressed by just the sheer size, the body of uh, or or the body control and ball skills that Parkinson has possessed. You know, that's why he's always been kind of described as more of like a, of a receiver rather than a traditional blocking tight end full service tight end but he has become a full service tight end so that was uh definitely one that i wanted to to talk about uh, as well i'm going to switch back actually to the defensive side of the ball court but i you know the seahawks of course didn't have ryan neal um in the game and so that we saw a lot of of jonathan abram a lot of tease Tabor um playing those roles abram actually switched down and played a lot of uh nickel and dime cornerback from the inside um and then Tabor was playing a bunch of different safety roles, but including a lot of playing very, very deep where I've normally thought of as Quandre Diggs' territory in this team. Um, I was really impressed by Tabor, by Tabor, excuse me. Um, he just hit, he's not the fastest guy. He ran a four, six in, in the 40 yard dash, but he has really interesting route anticipation. He, he sees the routes developing and he charges downhill, made some nice plays. Abram gave up a couple of big catches uh, to the Jets tight ends. But at the same time, he also is a physical presence in the box. I think that Abram has a better chance to stick here in Seattle and the way that they use safeties than with most other teams. I thought that kind of going in. But Tabor impressed me as well. I just really liked his instincts for the position in the back half. A lot of the of Seattle's biggest plays, um, the, the Diggs interception, um, at least one of Taylor's sacks, perhaps both of them came while Tease Tabor was on the field. And, and what he and Abrams were on the field together. And that was not something that I necessarily expected to have two of the relatively newest Seahawks defensive backs playing very important roles in their being able to shut down that Jets offense. You got to give credit to Carl Scott and Sean Desai because yeah. all the injuries that they have had at safety and Trey Brown missing the first half of the season, as well as Mike Jackson's played all year. These two new coaches there have been some issues with their run defense up front. I don't think you can blame that on these two guys, though. They're mainly secondary guys. I feel like the secondary has been a surprising strength most of the year, especially considering all the injuries. I mean, you lose Jamal Adams in week one, and then Ryan Neal comes in and plays at a really high level. And Ryan Neal misses the last two games. And, yeah, they haven't been perfect. They've made mistakes. But Abram had some really nice plays. He had an interception that he dropped on Sunday and that's not what he's known for is catching the football he is a box safety but 
made some really nice plays tackling and, and had some nice plays in special teams. And Tabor has shown some things, as you mentioned, out there. So that has to be credited to the coaching staff, getting guys that are that weren't even here for training camp, bringing them in, especially Abram, who's coming in the second half of the year, and getting him up to speed with a new scheme that is difficult for safeties and getting him up to speed quick enough that he can go out and play that well. That's a credit to the coaching staff. Staying on defense for my last take here from the game. I've talked about him a lot since training camp, but I, I was surprised the Seahawks did not use Miles Adams more early in the season. And I know there was a log jam at defensive tackle, but this is a guy that has been dominant in their preseason games. I thought he had an excellent training camp, which that matters more to me in the scheme of things because he's going against starters in practice. He was getting reps with the ones, but he kept being a healthy scratch. And finally, in the second half of the season, in part because of injuries around him, he's gotten his chance to play. And every week, he is getting incrementally better. There was a play in this game against the Jets where at 300 pounds, and I think it's generous to list him at that. Pete Carroll said he's 300. He's been 290 in their program. It looks to me like he's more in the 290, 295 range. He is light to be playing nose tackle in the NFL, especially in the 3-4 defense. But he took on a double team with perfect technique, perfect pad level, and remarkable effort, split the double team, and stonewalled the running back at the line of scrimmage. That was one hell of a play. And he's coming through with splashy run plays like that every single week the last three or four games. And so I think that Miles Adams is positioning himself. I'm surprised that it took him this long to get him on the field, but I think he's positioning himself as a guy that actually fits this scheme fairly well, despite his lack of size. He can play those two gapping roles. I think he's put himself in a position next year to play for a meaningful rotational role right out of the gate for the Seahawks on a defensive line that you and I both believe is going to be significantly different because of the draft and free agency. I think he's going to be one of those mainstays, though, that gets a chance to play a lot of snaps next year. I 100% agree with you because he just keeps making plays. And, you know, that, that's been, there's been an absence uh, of big plays from Seattle's defensive line so far this season. Um, and, uh, and so that's uh, Miles Adams' big plays are, you know, just kind of looming large a, as a result of that. I'll tell you another guy who's made some big plays, not always the splashiest of plays, although Shirley Harris has made plenty of splashy plays as well. Corbin, there is a, we talked before about watching the all 22. There is, is a play where Shelby Harris makes a tackle about 30, 35 yards downfield um, on a wide receiver. That is just the epitome of why he is so highly regarded. Not the not the playmaker, maybe that Miles Adams is, but another player that I thought deserved a little bit of credit since we're kind of you know turning the 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 bright lights on on some of Seattle's kind of unheralded stars a little bit. As always, 12s, we greatly appreciate you listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast due to the circumstances from yesterday's game. And, and quite frankly, Rob and I have talked about this going in. We wanted to talk a little bit of Seahawks, but we also wanted to take a step back to reflect. And so today's episode is going to be a little shorter than normal. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen, as always, to the Locked on Seahawks podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob as well. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. You can also find us on Amazon Podcast. Just make sure to shout out to Alexa and tell her to play Locked on Seahawks and it'll play for you. So thanks for listening in. We'll be back tomorrow with Matchup Wednesday and we'll get back to football. But today is a day of reflection. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.